When a young man and his wife swing by Taco Bell to get a quick bite to eat, he's hoping he'll get a couple bean burritos and a mild case of diarrhea. But instead, he finds himself in an odd predicament. And then we meet a young mother who's having a really hard time grappling with a disturbing truth. Is it possible that the man she married is truly a monster? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command. I always talk about you don't have to support the show financially, just help get the word out. Well, here's one of those guys who's getting the word out. Everyone give a round of applause for Sir Chubb. Yeah, woohoo! Come on in. We're about him because he's a sir. My liege, Sir Chubb. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Now, the reason why he got selected to do this, like I say, if you can't support the Patreon, that's okay. Just help get the word out. Sir Chubb, I don't know if this is illegal or not. I'm pretty sure this is illegal. Pretty sure this is okay. Sir Chubb's like, no, please stop. To quit, quit mentioning my name. Sir Chubb, that's not his legal name either. And also, he's not actually a knight. But Sir Chubb said that he was in Scotland. So normally am I mentioning this guy's name? Apparently I might be doxing him as well. Sir Chubb told me that recently he was in an airport in Glasgow, which is in Scotland, right? He was in an airport in Glasgow, and he went, I guess they have all these MacBooks set up, and he changed all the default pages to Dead Rabbit Radio's website. You're like, Jason, no, that's clearly illegal. I don't know, I don't know, I think it's fine. That's a great way to get that's a great way to get the word out. Go into an airport full of security and talk about Dead Rabbit Radio. So, Sir Chubb, you're gonna be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you if you guys can't support the show financially, or you can't possibly commit crimes to talk about the show, that's fine too. Just use other more legal ways to talk about Dead Rabbit Radio. It always helps out a lot. Now, Sir Chubb, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out. To a Taco Bell. <laughs> Sir Chubb drives us to the Taco Bell, and now we're in the drive-thru, and we're actually sitting right behind the narrator of this story. According to a user known as Neb Gonagal, we're going to go ahead and call him Billy, eight years ago, so that would have put us around, what, 2014? Eight years ago, it was nighttime, and Billy and his wife, we'll call her Tiffany, decide to get a quick bite to eat. You know, he's talking to his wife, they're just driving down the road, and they see that the drive through for the Taco Bell, it's not super crowded, but there, there are a couple cars back from even ordering at the menu. And they pull into the drive through and they're ready to fill their bellies full of processed lard. And they're in the drive through lane, and they're talking, and we've all been through drive throughs sometimes they go super quick, sometimes they take a while, but what was odd is that as Billy was sitting here with his wife and they're waiting to go up to the menu part, waiting to actually place the order, they realize that the line seems to be stopped. There seems to be no movement. The cars are just sitting where they are. Ten minutes pass. And he didn't even realize that so much time had passed, but ten minutes passed and Billy's sitting in his car and he's like, dude, what's going on? Like, I figured maybe someone had a big order. And then he realizes 
that not only are the cars in front of him not moving, the people in the cars are not moving either. And you're like, Jason, it's not like people generally have a dance party in their cars. But, you know, when you are sitting in a car, you'll fiddle with your radio or fiddle with your air conditioning or, t- or talk to your other people in the car, talk to your wife. And he realizes that everyone in the two cars ahead of them, that they can see, the two cars that they can see in front of them, the people are completely motionless in their vehicles. So he goes, oh, this is kind of weird. Plus, I'm hungry. <laughs> there could be some sort of temporal distortion. Plus, I got to run for the border. So he decides to pull out of the drive-thru, which is a tricky thing, right? We've all had that instant where you sit in a drive-thru and you go, ah, screw it. It'll be easier to go inside. And then all of a sudden it becomes a Herculean task to reverse your car through the drive-thru. And your worst fear is that at that moment, someone will pull in behind you. And you're like, no, I'm stuck. He's luckily able to get out and pull into a parking spot. So he goes, I'm just going to walk into the Taco Bell or order the food in there. So he gets out. He's been sitting in the drive-thru for 10 minutes. He gets out of his car. He walks into the Taco Bell. And things just get even stranger. Because when he walks in the Taco Bell, he said, you know, because it's nighttime, it's not super busy, but it's also not completely empty. He goes, I walk into the Taco Bell, and there's people ordering food, there's a cashier taking an order, and there's people eating their food, a couple workers in the back that he can see. And right when he walks in, every single person in the Taco Bell turned and looked right at him. Then they turned away and went back to what they were doing. And it was so, it left such an uneasy feeling in Billy. He thought he might have walked into a robbery in progress, which would make sense why it was taking so long. It's kind of hard to make a chili cheese burrito with a gun in your face. Maybe I walked into a robbery in progress. Everyone stopped what they were doing, turned and looked at me, and then went back to what they were doing. And then he realized... They weren't doing anything. Everyone turns and looks at him. They turn back and then they freeze into place. The guy was not taking an order. The register cashier guy was not taking an order. The man standing at the register was not talking about an order. It was as quiet as a cemetery. People sitting at the tables were motionless. The man placing the order was motionless. The two employees he could see in the back in the kitchen area, motionless. Other than the movement to look at him and then look back away. There was no activity in the Taco Bell. It was completely silent as well. At that moment, Billy gets the overwhelming urge to leave. Like, it's this thing settles on him. This fear has finally gripped him. He turns around, he walks out of the Taco Bell, gets in the car, and he, to, to not leave us hanging, he still, he's like, and I've never eaten to that day. A skeleton is writing this. He said that then they just went and got Chinese food. And that apparently that was totally normal. He didn't go in there and said, yeah, and Jack Burton was having a karate fight with three Chinese gods. Apparently the Chinese food restaurant was totally normal. But he goes, I've never been able to make sense of that. He goes, that happened eight years ago, and I still can't figure it out. And he goes, actually, the next day, I thought I was going to read in the news that there was a robbery at a local Taco Bell, but nothing. 
There was nothing in the news about any of this. There wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't on the front page. Taco Bell frozen in time. Or a more mundane answer, you know, that there was a robbery. He could never figure it out. And to this day, he can't figure it out. And he ends his post with this quote. Quote, I felt with every fiber of my being that I had stepped into a place I did not belong. Really interesting, high strangeness story. We talk a lot about being out of place, being out of time, alternate universes. And this is one of those things, I do love these type of stories that are so mundane, yet they veer into the world of the paranormal. Or how would you classify this? I did a story a long time ago about a haunted Wendy's that I experienced. It was terrifying. And I, it was something similar to this. You didn't feel welcome there. It was a very, very, it was the most quiet fast food restaurant I'd ever been to. I'll put that episode in the show notes. Very, very disturbing feeling. And that's not even including, that's not even including the monster that I saw that came out of the drive-thru window. So I kind of feel this dude's pain or feel this dude's mystery would be more apt, a more apt word. But what a, what a bizarre story for us to look at because what is it? And then you start to think is, because I had my, you know, one time it's just a weird event, but two times you have to start to look at a pattern. We've been covering on and off on this show the black bedroom phenomenon. I'll put those episodes in the show notes. We talked about, originally it was just someone woke up and their entire bedroom was pitch black. They looked out into the street. All the street lights were off. The world was just covered in darkness. And you go, Jason, generally when people wake up, it's dark. It was darker than dark. It was blacker than black. We covered that story. It was kind of a one-off thing. And then I found like two or three more. So then you start to think, is this a phenomenon that deserves investigation that is happening more times that we know of and people don't talk about it? And the same thing, when I had my weird Wendy's experience, just thought it was, I've had some weird experiences, you know? But now that we found a second one, we have to start to look at, what do they say? Like one is... One is one thing, two is a coincidence, three is a phenomenon. So is there more to this? I mean, how many people are posting online about walking into fast food restaurants and just weird stuff happening? And even if they did post them online, someone has to find them. I did that story about two different people in two different parts of the world over two different time periods saw two halves of a horse fused together. You read the stories one off, it's weird, but you read both of them and you think, okay, is there something to this phenomenon and other people aren't reporting it? Who knows? It would be upsetting though, right? First off, you didn't get his Taco Bell, but secondly, like you would just feel like you had stumbled into a place where you shouldn't be. It's not so weird that there were aliens walking around or they were speaking some sort of alien language or the Taco Bell menu looked like the Taco Bell menu from Demolition Man. It was not a menu he didn't recognize. It was just... Something was off. It wasn't anything so dramatic like that. It was just a weird feeling. And I wonder if there's more of them out there. And if there are, what does it mean? What does this phenomenon point to as a whole? We, we just don't know. It's just a bizarre story. And is there anything more to it? I, I would say, if anything... I know my experience with Wendy's is that I did feel there was a malevolent presence at that Wendy's. And every time I went there, something weird happened. And this guy, I don't know if he went to the Taco Bell at any point after that in the past eight years and nothing else happened. But interesting. I guess I, guess I can message the guy and find out anything about that until now to see if there's a follow-up. But 
a weird story nonetheless. The, the world of the paranormal, man, people think it's only in the national parks, in the spooky cemeteries, and the haunted houses. The great thing about the world of the paranormal is it can happen anywhere, anytime. It's not only the farmer in Alabama in the middle of the night who gets abducted by aliens. It's, it can happen anywhere. You are, you are never safe, is the moral of that story. Sir Chubb, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carbonar copter. We are leaving behind this Taco Bell. We are going to fly all the way out to North Carolina. We're in North Carolina. The year is 2020. It's August 2020. So this is a pretty recent story that we're going to be taking a look at. One thing I love about doing this podcast is... This thing I call true crime in progress. So many true crime stories are the serial killers. They've, you know, everything's settled, right? They've committed all these crimes. They're in prison or they're dead. You know, like these five-part essays, audio essays, whatever, on Ted Bundy, blah, 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 blah. This stuff's been done to death. No pun intended. It's been done to death. And we, we see that a lot. And it definitely there's a market for that. But I've been ingesting true crime stuff for so long. I kind of like finding the stuff no one talks about. And a couple times on this show, we've done this thing called True Crime in Progress. Where we don't know how the story ends. It's not like an unsolved murder. It's like we're in the middle of this saga. Sir Chubb, go ahead and land this carbonocopter in North Carolina. We're going to be walking around this unnamed town somewhere out there. We're just walking around the environment in North Carolina. We're going to meet someone who goes by the name Throws08. Throws08. And the reason why is that this is a throwaway account. The person who's talking about this does not want it connected to her really in any way. I actually tried. I actually tried looking up to see if there were any articles about this. But I didn't find anything. We're going to go ahead and call this woman Meredith. And she's going to be telling us the story about her husband, who we're just going to call Joe. And if those are the real names, it was just a shot in the dark, right? Meredith, over a series of posts, over the course of two years, she writes all these different posts. And I'm going to cobble this story together and and, uh, tell it as best that I can. And hopefully you find this both entertaining and absolutely terrifying. And, and, And Okay, let's take a look at it. Meredith tells a story of a young couple in love. And she says, you know, her and Joe really were destined for each other. They both came from what she described as good families. They both came from good homes with good families. They're both college-educated, white-collar workers. They met at the local Episcopal church. Two strong Christian families finding each other through marriage. These two children who were raised as best they could be in the church meet at a church, and it is meant to be. Now, Meredith had a child from a previous relationship. She doesn't specifically say she was married before this, but she has a child, a very young child from a previous relationship. And after her and Joe got married, they had three more children over the next few years. And in August of 2020, Joe's 40th birthday was coming up. She's quite a few years younger than me. 40th birthday was coming up, and she was saving money up to surprise him with a stay at the Ritz. The Ritz apparently is a nice hotel or something like that. (laughs) They're not going to live on a cracker. 
They're going to... <laughs> Obviously, that's a nice hotel. How poor are you? I actually had to look it up. The Ritz is like a nice hotel. I guess it's a chain of nice hotels. I thought maybe it was like one nice hotel in Paris. But no, there's like a bunch of them. So it's not super fancy if there's a ton of them. Then it's just like a, a, a hotel chain. That's like saying, I want to go. I'm I'm paying for the Holiday Inn. And you're like, oh, that sounds nice. Until you realize there's a thousand of them. The Ritz Hotel, she is saving up money so she can take her husband to spend his 40th birthday at the Ritz. But this isn't a marriage advice podcast, so you know something must go wrong. Because they don't go to the Ritz. They don't they don't even go to the cracker factory. Now Meredith says, listen, this it wasn't a perfect marriage. No marriage is perfect. We did have our hiccups. But what happened was my husband. I'm going to tell the story, too, the way because I think the way she wrote it, the way she laid out the timeline of events is also very important for her mind state. And I, I should say I got this from this is one of the reasons why I absolutely hate Reddit. I think it's a cesspool for goons and goblins and all sorts of awful people. There's a subreddit. You're like, Jason, are you talking about that subreddit again that you hate? You did a whole episode that you think that it's possessed by demons. His subreddit is disgusting. It's called Sexual Offender Support. People have been trying to take it down forever. I have no idea why it's still up. It's a place for people who are convicted of sex crimes or are facing sex crime charges where they can get advice. Now, and you, I mean, sure, they've got to talk to their lawyers and stuff like that, but it's just a gross place to be. Imagine walking into a clubhouse where everyone there is, is a pedophile or, or a rapist or something like that. It's not a clubhouse you want to be in at any point in time, yet Reddit allows this one to stay up for a long time. I get in, I get in arguments all the time about free speech on my Patreon Discord, and and I, I may be wrong, right? People may say everyone has a right to free speech. Yeah, okay. But anyways, it's gross. Right? This is super gross. But anyways, they have this. People have been trying to take it down. Sexual offender support. But anyway, so I was on this and I, I came across this saga and, and she's writing to get advice from these other pervos out there, right? Convicted or alleged. And she writes her original post and she says, what role did alcohol play in your crimes? This is the first time she's talking about this. And she said, listen, my husband is being accused of a, quote, contact crime. So there's the non-contact crime, which is the child sexual abuse material. And the contact crime involves contact, right? Molestation. She's super cagey with the details, right? She's not telling us who or when or what or anything like that. But she says, listen, my husband, who I was preparing to celebrate his 40th birthday at the Ritz, has recently been accused of a contact crime. And she says, if he committed, that's her actual quote, quote, if he committed, unquote, this crime he's being accused of, it would have happened when he was blackout drunk. The time that he was accused of doing this, he didn't have his right mental process, is what she's saying. And she says, quote, I keep thinking that if he were in his right mind, he would never hurt anyone. She goes on to say that, he, so he's been accused of this, but he was blackout drunk at the time. He actually has now started attending AA meetings. And she goes, here's the thing. I have to say right up front that I have little kids. We have children together. And their safety is what's most important to me. But when 
she looks at all the evidence when she's hearing these accusations and she's talking to her husband and she's thinking about everything. She says that she has found herself zero evidence that he is a predator or attracted to minors in any way, shape, or form. So she's thinking, could alcohol have played a part in this? Because he is not like this. He's being accused of this. And if he did it, it it's so out of character for him. And she has this quote here. It says, quote, it seems like this was some kind of weird blip when he was extremely stressed, deep into the absolute stupidity of active addiction and holding a lot of resentments. So he acted out, unquote. I'm not a fan, obviously, of spousal abuse. I don't think I'm taking a wild political stance on that. Not a fan of spousal abuse. I've never really been a victim of it. I'm sure I could think of a couple times that it's, girls have thrown stuff at me. But I've had friends, both men and women, who have been in physically violent relationships. And it's horrible, right? It's absolutely horrible. And, and on different levels. Sometimes it's just people throwing stuff at each other. And then I've been in situations where... I, the one situation that I remember most clearly, she would beat him up. I knew a girl who would physically attack her husband. And he, he started fighting back. And they would get in these knockdown, drag-out fights. It's horrible, right? I'm not a fan of spousal abuse. I don't, I don't think anyone is. But the reason why I bring that up, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it's ever okay, right? Well, the reason why I'm bringing that up is that when you make a statement like some, he was extremely stressed, he was addicted to something, he had to hold a lot of resentment, so he, quote, acted out. That's something that someone would say when they get decked by their partner or thrown against the wall, right? Go to work, you have a black eye. What in the world happened? Well, you know, it, things have been really stressful and they're normally not like this. They've never hit me before. They'll never hit me again. You know what I mean? Like, that's the type of thing you would see going with physical action. I've never seen anything like that in regards to child molestation. Oh, he's just stressed. Just really, really stressed out at work. They've been giving him a lot of reports, and he's trying to get the McKinsey account closed. So but that's her first post, and you already start to see kind of a... I mean, I'm, I'm not even an armchair psychologist. I'm basically like a hammock psychologist, right? Like, anyone can kind of read into this, but I read that, and I go, she isn't understanding the gravity of the situation. She's already making excuses in the first post. Now, I found the latest... I came across the story because I found the newest post, and I went and I backtracked and looked at all this stuff. So, again, I'm reading all this stuff already knowing how this story ends, but that was really interesting. Hey, he's just acted out. He's under a lot of stress. Her next post was in April of 2021. So, quite a few months later, she's saying, listen... I want to know, you know, we have a lot of young kids, because this is a support group for these dudes, right? And women, the women do it too, but Meredith is asking the support group, she goes, how has life been for parents who have committed sex crimes? How has their life been on the registry? So they have most states, I think all states in America now have a sex offender registry. There's been a big push to get those eliminated. There's actually been a big court case. I forgot what state it was in, but those may go away because they're saying that that's punishment after the crime. We'll see how that plays out, but 
she says, so, you know, my husband's an accused of this crime and he's looking at taking a plea deal. The prosecutor in this case. So so now it's, you know, she's still saying, you know, he's been accused, but it's in the court system. She goes, the prosecutor's offering him a plea deal that involves 10 years on the registry. We have very, very young children, and I'm concerned about things like, can he attend baseball games at their schools or PTA meetings? Can he do these things if he's on the registry? How hard of a life will it be for our children if we take this plea deal? And it's interesting, too, because at this point, she is using the term separated. They're not divorced. She does say we're not divorced. She uses the term separated. So whatever has happened, again, she's being real cagey with the details at this point, too. She, they're, they're not together, which is probably a good idea because the kids, right? But she's still thinking of, you know, he'll get 10 years on the registry and maybe do a little bit of jail time. How would this affect the kids? And, and, and again, reading this stuff, apparently in most states you have to get permission from the principal. You're on the sex offender registry. And generally, the principals tell you to kick bricks. They don't want you around. He also has to, within this part of the plea deal, right, that he would have to attend sex offender treatment program, which should be the minimum, right? September 8th, though. We're going to jump ahead a couple more months. September 8th, 2021. Meredith receives a phone call from her husband, Joe. He said, listen, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this day to come. I hope that it never would. But I'm going to be honest with you. Not only does Joe admit to sexually molesting a child, there's a second victim coming forward. Before Meredith gets any news any other way, Joe finds out that another one of his victims, so this is no longer a if he committed it, this is no longer an alcohol blackout and stress at work. He knew there were multiple victims, and he was hoping the other one wouldn't come forward, but now he has gotten word that another victim has come forward, another victim is going to testify against him, and he had a plan for this. He tells his wife goodbye. I have written a full confession of my crimes. I have to get this stuff off my chest before I kill myself. You'll find these letters I left at home saying goodbye to the people I want to say goodbye to. And I'm saying goodbye to you now. And she begins to plead with him to not do that. She begins to tell him, listen, if you die now, this will be your legacy. This will be the only thing people remember you for. You will have no chance to rectify the wrongs that you did. You will have no chance to plead your case. And I'm pleading to you now, Joe, please don't kill yourself. There is another way we will handle this. But you cannot kill yourself, Joe. Please. If you jump, your children will only remember you as the man who killed himself under the accusation of these crimes. And is that the legacy you want to leave them? Is that the legacy you want to leave me with? There is always hope, Joe, that things will get better. We take a plea deal. You do the registry. You get free and we rebuild. But if you kill yourself, your story ends today.
she talks him down. She talks him down, and he doesn't kill himself. And the court process continues. December 2021. So now we're two months later. And this is where we get the first real accounting of what happened. Because she has been very, very cagey with the details. But now, as this seems to be getting even more real, now that there's other victims, now that they're coming closer to getting this plea deal done, now that her husband is actually in jail, because he was out during that time period, he was free to do what he wanted while this court process was going on when there was one victim. But now that there's multiple victims, he's arrested. Also, I think the fact that he almost killed himself They wanted to get him in jail so he wouldn't have the opportunity to do that again. And this is when she says that the victims are their children. Now remember, this saga started in August 2020. She doesn't mention that detail until December 2021. They were their own kids. And she's making excuses like, well, maybe he's blackout drunk. Maybe he's stressed. That would be evil enough if it was somebody else's child, but your own children. Now, we know there's at least two victims. We don't know if there's any more after that. We know there's at least two victims, and maybe only two. Hopefully, right? You would prefer zero. You'd prefer these people never having to do this, him never falling into the clutches of this, for lack of a better term, demonic activity. Go to the Hotel of the Ritz. It's your 40th birthday. Have a great time. And he never did this horrible act in the first place. That's what we would like. And then I just cover something else on my podcast. But this is what happened. But it did happen. And it happened to their own children. And from August 2020 to December 2021, she's talking so clinical about this stuff. Which, again, would be evil enough if it was somebody else's children, but their own children. Now, I first came across this entire story when I read what she posted, and this is the very last time she posted. I read a post that popped up on July 12th, 2022. And from the very first sentence, I just thought, listen, I'm a very hopeful person. I'm, a, I'm an optimist. Just people always say, for someone who has unending anxiety attacks, you're extremely optimistic. I'm a very hopeful person. The next sunrise is always there. No matter what you're going through, things can get better. You may have a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, a bad long time, but things can get better. But every so often, I come across statements like this. July 12th, 2022, Meredith writes this phrase. She got a call from Joe from prison. He's in prison now. He's been sentenced. And the phrase was this. I got a call from Joe who, quote, is about six weeks into a 20-year sentence. Six weeks into a 20-year prison sentence. Think about the worst job you ever had. And knowing, as bad as that job is, you have to do it for another 20 years. That's the first thing that popped in my head, I because I can't comprehend this. Six weeks into a 20-year prison sentence. 
And on yesterday's episode, I said, listen, I would rather do 20 years for murder than five years for stuff against kids. And I stand by that statement. Even If you went into prison and you had killed a guy, I know a lot of people have gone to prison, done prison time, but one of them I was a close friend to. He's doing 17 for life right now for stabbing a man to death. Um, when he was 18 years old, he just turned 18, and it was everyone was high on meth, and he stabbed the guy in the heart with a steak knife. We talked about that in yesterday's episode, too. Don't do that. Stabbed a man in front of this man's girlfriend and toddler. Killed him. Died right on the kitchen floor. One, one stab right through the chest. Killed him. He's doing 17 to life, right? And he's well-adjusted in prison. And that would suck, right? I'm not saying that it would be great, but there's like bank robbery would be <laughs> bank robbery would be kind of cool to get caught for my <laughs> list my bucket list of crimes I want to commit a skyjacking would be keen you know what i mean versus this stuff because yeah sure you might get harassed if you're if you killed a couple people right you might get harassed if you kill a couple people from a rival gang but you guys know what i mean Right, if you went to prison because you skyjacked a 747 and then got beat up by Harrison Ford, the actor not playing the character from Air Force One, 90-year-old Harrison Ford beat you up and then flew the plane and landed it in O'Hare Airport, you would be pretty, you would be considered a pretty cool guy, even though you lost a fight to a 90-year-old man. He took over a plane. And it wouldn't be fun... To be in prison for 20 years at all. But if you're going to be in prison for 20 years, do something dope. Right? And then I read that statement six weeks into a 20-year sentence. And I thought, what's so interesting about this? Because I'm a couple years older than this guy. I'm going to be 46 in two months. When I was 20 years old, I got in a lot of fist fights, right? When I was in my 20s, I was constantly getting in trouble, constantly having to talk my way out of situations or fight my way out of situations. And in the back of your mind, when you're 20 years old, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this could go south really quickly. Like my friend's friend who got in a fight and then a knife got pulled out and then he got the knife away from him and killed the other guy. You know, within a moment, he went from being the victim to the aggressor and killed the guy and did 15 years. But we're all in our 20s, right? And I think, yeah, you know, I might get caught. I might accidentally punch someone. They fall down. They crack their head open and die. These are all things that you know of when you get in a street fight. And a lot of times, you know, you're just drunk. You're stumbling out of a bar, walking down the street or whatever, and you're getting these drunken brawls. So you're not really thinking. But when you're in your 20s, when I was in my 20s especially, the idea of doing 20 years in prison, whatever. I'm 20. Again, I wasn't looking for it. And I never did anything that would get me 20 years in prison. You know, like, generally, that is, like, skyjacking or murder or something like that. But, you know what I mean? You get in a brawl, something bad happens, and someone gets seriously injured, somebody dies. You'd get 20 years in prison. You're 20 years old. You're 22 years old. You're 25 years old, whatever. You can't really comprehend 20 years because you've only been alive for that period of time. So you do something dumb, you make a mistake, or maybe you are a psychopath and you get arrested when you're 20, 22, and you get sentenced to 20 years. You get out when you're 42. you got a whole life ahead of you. You can't comprehend it. And even when it does happen, because you've only been alive for that period of time, you, and that included baby time to you standing under the streetlight somewhere in Orangevale, Throwing punches at some dude you've never met before. And something goes south, 
well, you can't really comprehend a block of 20 years. But when you're 40 or 46, I am totally aware of what 20 years is. I've lived 20 years and then another 20 years. So for this guy to be 40 years old and to be sentenced to half of his existing life already, He's 40 years old, and now he has to do the next 20 years in prison for a disgusting crime that he will get no sympathy from anybody except these weirdos on Reddit. 40 years old. He will get out when he's 60. And most states don't have time off for good behavior for sex crimes. So he will get out when most people are thinking about retiring. He... This is what's happened to him in six weeks of a 20... I still have a hard time comprehending that, but a 20-year sentence. Um, he, all of his money is gone. Uh, the inmates are basically making him take the money, because what happens is you can send money to someone's books. You send them into the commissary books, and then the inmate can use that money to buy stuff like toothpaste, new shoes, little treats like Top Ramen or bags of Ritz crackers. That's That's ironic. And Meredith said when he was in jail, I'd put money on his books and there'd be no problem. But since he's been sent to this prison sorting center, which will then decide what prison he eventually ends up in, I put a bunch of money on his books so he'd get some nice stuff. It's gone. It's all gone. He got basically extorted and they took all of his money. People will say, give me your money and I'll protect you. But when that money runs out, so does the protection. And it's quite possible that the guards themselves were telling other inmates, hey, this guy's a real piece of work, and he has $200 on his books this week. You know, something happens. He says at one point he woke up in his cell at 1 a.m. There was another inmate standing in his cell. Not, not the inmate he was bunking with. Someone had gotten into his locked cell. And Meredith goes, he didn't tell me what happened after that. He just is telling me things aren't going good. Imagine that. Imagine like you lived in an environment with vicious criminals. Your neighbors are murderers and <laughs> skyjackers and bank robbers. And then someone just walk into your house, dude. Your little cell at one in the morning. <laughs> you're supposed to at least have, you're in jail. People shouldn't be in prison. People shouldn't be able to get in and out of their cells, but you wake up at one in the morning, there's a dude there, standing there. And that's week six of 20 years. It's so insane to me, this 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 saga, right? You could say, Jason, you say it's true crime in progress, we don't know how it ends, but this will probably be the last time she posts. At this point, she calls him her ex. So I believe a divorce has happened couple months too late as far as I'm concerned and he's in prison so the criminal justice system has ended but this guy is now in the North Carolina prison system six weeks into a 20 year sentence and life is rough white collar worker raised by a good family brought up in the Episcopal Church twenty years. And if the story can't get any weirder, another thing that I love about this story is we get to see the mindset of the person telling it. Whatever happens to Joe on his journey through the North Carolina prison system, 
we won't ever know. Like, again, that's not a real name. She's not posting anymore. Who knows? Maybe she'll post something. The people on the subreddit said, listen, sorting centers are really bad. Once he gets sent to an actual prison prison in North Carolina, things may settle down. But who knows? Even they were like, yeah, it, it can get really rough. It can get really, really rough. Their advice was quit putting money on his books. But if he's paying protection money, he doesn't have any money to pay protection for Imagine, again, like, he's never thought about that stuff. He wasn't getting in street fights. A civilian through and through. Now he's having to think about commissary. And <laughs> getting killed every day, right? When you grow up in a bad neighborhood, when, they, you know, they talk about kids being institutionalized. You're fighting through elementary school. You're fighting in middle school. You drop out of high school. You go to prison. It's just like, okay, this is what happens. It's tragic. But... This dude never was, he wasn't getting in fights. He wasn't doing all these minor crimes and doing some time in juvie and then doing like a, a couple years for car theft, you know, in prison when he's like 18, 19 and that. No, he just goes from being an upstanding citizen to 20 years in North Carolina prison system. Totally boggles my mind. But let's wrap it up by taking a look at Meredith. Because this is so fascinating. I find this so interesting. The ability to lie to yourself and to change the narrative. Even though we can look and see the narrative that Meredith posted herself. Let's take a look at this. Remember how this started off. She said, if he committed these crimes, it was due to alcohol. It was due to stress. He was blackout drunk. He had a lot of stuff going on. If he committed this crime, remember, she only knew of the one victim to begin with. If he committed this crime, it was because of these things, but I've seen zero evidence that he had any attraction to children. She's really defending him, blaming on the alcohol, blaming on the stress. You'll get people going to the sexual offender subreddit to quote-unquote troll. So you get these people who pop up from time to time, and this dude jumped up and said, when she was talking about this stuff, they accused her of protecting a child molester when she was talking about, you know, how do I send him money? What should I do? They're like, you're being gross. Like, why are you even protecting a child molester? Why do you even care about how he's doing in prison? And she responded with this. Someone said, so you protecting a child molester? Question mark. And she responded with this. Nope. I'm the one who reported him. I highly doubt that's true. Highly, highly doubt that's true. Because remember, in the beginning, she didn't even believe that it happened. But here we are. From August 2020 to July 2022. No, she was the one who reported him in the first place. Now listen, it's possible, right? That her child came to her and told her this, and then she reported him to the authorities. But there is no she did not make that statement at all until he is locked away in a federal prison. She actually was saying, I don't believe, I, there's zero evidence that this could have happened. He was really stressed out. He was, if it happened, remember, that's what's so interesting because she's using terms like if he committed these crimes, it was when he was blackout drunk, but now she's saying she's the one who reported him. Maybe she did report him in the beginning, but I just find that so suspect. You make excuses, excuses. You're talking about plea deals. Why would you want plea deals for someone that you turned in? Nope. I'm the one who reported him. My personal read on that as a hammock psychologist is 
The narrative is changing. The story is changing. To go from someone who stood by their man to... It, it really in a disgusting way, right? Stood by her man while he was being accused of these horrible crimes against their own children. Again, it would be bad for anyone's children, but against their own children. And yet, now she is the person who turned him in. She's the hero of the story. It's fascinating to take a look at a family that completely fell apart in a matter of months. Right. Watching this play out. She a lot of people think plea deals are easy. You know, you get a plea deal, you do three years. I'm sure the plea deal was twenty. Right? He could have gotten fifty or he could have gotten life. We don't know exactly what the crimes are. I don't want to know. I don't want details on this type of stuff. I don't want to know. But the plea deal would have been twenty years. A lot of people go, Oh, they're offering a plea deal, then it'll just be three years. No, no, no. Plea deals can still be high. To go from the person who is defending the perpetrator, if he committed it, to at the end of the saga, the last post, where they state, I'm the one who turned him in. Fascinating story of true crime. It's one I wish I didn't have to cover, right? It's one that I wish this crime never took place. And I think that's fair to say with all true crime we cover. But a man in prison, a 40-year-old man in prison for the next 20 years for committing one of the most disgusting crimes. And now he's prey to the predators in that prison. And then his wife changing the narrative. Fascinating. Look at human suffering and the way the human mind works. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.